Hey, I'm Scott. And I'm Chris. And this is Doxologic, where we help you think with your Bible. Well, hey there. It's good to be back. Another episode of Doxologic. Pastor Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you doing? I am doing excellent. Thank you. We have got a great topic, an important topic, one we get asked about uh, regularly as it relates to being Calvinist or being Reformed. The Ooh. question goes uh, something like, um, someone comes up on a Sunday, maybe after church or something, and I, I've had it happen many times. I know you have. Uh, they introduce their name or whatever. They got the question. They really want to ask, Yeah, are you Reformed? And, and by their excitement, I kind of <laughs> lean towards yes, or if I can see it on their face, they're like desperately hoping the answer is no, <laughs> I talk to them a little bit differently. Sure. And generally, I'll get them to describe what they mean by that, because listen, those terms are very broad. I think yes. we'll, we'll go, we'll use the term Calvinist uh, for the most part, but understanding that there are large overlaps basically between the two. Yeah. So Good. your background, though, yeah. Scott, what's some of your personal background? Well, so... I didn't even know what that word was when I became a Christian. I didn't know there were categories. I really, when I became a Christian, I uh, was at a contemporary church, and I didn't know anything about church history. Didn't know there was a guy even named Calvin or Calvinism. I think the first time I ever even heard about it was there was a debate going on in Campus Crusade on this summer project we were going on, and down in the in the um, basement, there was this predestination versus free will debate. And I remember, Chris, I... I I viscerally reacted. I mean, I did not want any part mm. of that. And I remember yeah. thinking in my head, all oh, this waste of time talking about theology when you should be out on the boardwalk sharing the gospel with people. And so I was very much raised in a, the theology doesn't really matter. It can be a waste of time for Christians to just kind of puff up in knowledge sure. and we've got to get out there and share the gospel. And so I, I mean, from an early age in my faith would say, didn't really want to deal with it at all. But I will say this, um, I think the natural predisposition of the human heart, especially upon becoming a Christian, but in other words, it doesn't change all the way, is that you're still man-centered in your thinking and it takes the Lord to kind of, readjust your thinking through the Word of God. So that's a little bit into it. I know you're kind of yeah. walking in your own territory. Sure, yeah. More my, of a church background. My background me. grew up in a church called the Church of the Nazarene, uh, which actually comes from like John Wesley, Wesleyan theology, yes. Methodism. It uh, got started... I want to say late, late 19th century uh, with just um, what they saw as a, a kind of abuses in different ways in the Methodist church and branched out, but it was Wesleyan uh, in the tradition of definitely human free will, um, that we are capable still, uh, humanly, we are capable of... Um, Responding to God without God first maybe doing something to us, we we didn't uh, in was, salvation. You're talking in, about in salvation yeah, to become a you. Christian. To, you could do it on your own. Today we're mostly going to talk about soteriology or salvation yeah, and God's role salvation. in it. Right, yeah. the study of salvation. Uh, just because when you talk about being reformed, it actually can mean a lot of other things besides just this. But we're talking about the nature of salvation, and, and we get a question a lot of: Is is Dox a Calvinist or are you Calvinist? And my background was very much not. I didn't know it though, like you. I didn't really realize there was uh, well disagreement on this first of all and other ways of seeing things and so my my journey went after my undergrad uh, was a youth pastor for four years and really started to appreciate um, uh, men like John Piper Mark Driscoll for you know the few years that, that was before that kind of <laughs> wasn't Can't anyways uh, Matt Chandler and others that I really back in 2006 and eight and nine was was listening to a ton realized this is not the same 
kind of gospel presentation that I remember hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, that if you will, it, it was as a child, if you will just accept Jesus, he really wants to come into your heart. If you will open the door to him, he will come in, that sort of a thing. Sure. All the personal receiving, which for sure we receive Christ Jesus, the Lord of Colossians 2, as you've received him, so sure. walk in him. Sure. But but when you start to study the scriptures more and more, you see the overwhelming clarity um, coming from a certain perspective, obviously, here, that it, that is God is the initiator, God is the actor upon us in bringing us to himself. Mm-hmm. And that was a game changer for mm-hmm. me in the best way. Yeah. And then seminary was so helpful as well for gaining greater clarity. I, I called myself a theological mutt for a long time because of my background. And then my seminary training was was more like, uh, you know, in, in Calvinism kind of traditionally, but um, there's so much to talk about here. So where would you kind of take someone to help them understand the nature of salvation is really what we're talking about? Uh, so I think the best place to start when it comes to that is to realize that I didn't ever come, like, want to form a theology on my own, as in theology separate from the Word of God. I'm going to get a theology, I'm going to figure out which one I have, and then I'm going to plop it on top of the Word of God and use it like a, you know, like a um, way of interpreting Mm, the Bible. Rather, praise God, before I had a theology, I was pointed to the Scriptures. Now, I had, growing up for about five years, I'd never even heard the Bible taught verse by verse. Like, in context, what this book means, I I was, um, my background is bouncing around from a bunch of verses, knew a lot about Christian leadership, knew that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, thought that was for sure for me on the soccer field, and didn't understand that it had a context to it. And so before I was able to even get a theology, I got brought to the Word of God. And it was the foundational expositional unpacking of the word of God that began to open my mind because I was dealing with things that let's just be honest, if I was reading the Bible and I was, I was reading out on my own as a young believer with very little understanding. So I'm reading past Hmm. passages going, no idea what that means. And just keep going. Oh, I understand that little part. And then just kept going. Well, when you have a person that is just teaching the word of God, you know, getting back into I, I, original languages, Greek, Hebrew, how to understand, all these things were coming to bear, not so much in talking about it, but in the way that the message was given, such that the word of God was the message, was the word of God itself, right, right. it started to transform me. And so um, theology that's built from the word is how it's supposed to go versus go searching for a theology like and then put it on the word. Let the word do the work. Yeah. That, that's kind of how I got there. Very good, yeah. So um, I, I think about, for example, just uh, one of the places I go to regularly, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Uh, ver- verse 3 particularly here, I'll read that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Just one of so many places you could go to to see uh, the causality is is grounded in a God and who he is and what he does. And it doesn't say, according to his great mercy, he uh, gave an invitation to someone who uh, could, um, on their own, right, in their own kind of will and strength, they right. could take it up or not. Rather, Ephesians 2 and other places, we are dead, sure. we're blind, we're lost, we are completely unable in and of ourselves. But I, I love that language, and there's so much replete in the scriptures. He has caused us to be born again. Through the living and abiding word of God, right? Yep. So powerful. I would go to John 6. 
John 6 changed for me because here's what I needed, Chris, where I was coming from. You can't lose me on the evangelism part. So I was hearing about Calvinism and it's like, Calvinism, you don't even evangelize. Why would you evangelize? Because it's all robotic and everybody's like going to just either believe or not believe. And so you heard a lot that Calvinism wasn't missional. Well, I am to my core evangelistic, like my heart bleeds for that stuff. So there was no way you were going to, you were going to be able to cross out the evangelism part, right? The kind of idea of like, whosoever will may come. So John six, I call it the John six sandwich because the stuff that I agreed with initially in my faith is sandwiched by two amazingly um, sovereign passages from Jesus. So John six 37, here's how he starts. He says, all that the father gives me will come to me. Okay. That's a big sovereignty there. Who's coming? The ones that the father gives to Jesus, right? Not yep. the ones that just choose to do whatever they're going to do. It's the ones that the Father will uh, gives me will come to me. And then listen to this though, and this I needed this so badly. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So, so here's where the paradigm was so important for me. It's like, okay, there's a bigger sovereign picture of salvation that I was expecting, but I believe from the bottom of my heart that the call and 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 if you look at good reformed theology, they're going to for sure own this. It's the kind of caricatures of Calvinism, which we should probably talk about yeah, that yeah. gets into that place where you can't call everyone to turn and believe. When I'm preaching, I'm not thinking, do you have like a, you know, elect little like mark on you that I know mm. that you're Christian versus not? Yep, no, I'm yep. calling every single person, every breathing human being to turn from the soul. Whosoever will may come. Now we know that all the father gives me will come to me. But I'm going on the, hey, Lord, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to preach it to everybody and call everybody to the Lord. And then, of course, the sandwich ends in John 44, 644, where he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Oh, there it is. So you've got the people are coming, the one who the Father gives me. Whosoever comes, I will not cast out. But who's coming? No one's coming to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So it's the work mm, of the yep. Lord to draw the person in. It's yeah. amazing, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so speaking of caricatures, I think of a couple things that was just going off uh, in, in my head as you were talking is um, we can get into some pretty poor places that people go uh, towards fatalism, mm-hmm. right? They go towards, well, if that's true, then they, they use their own logic or what they think is their own logic to connect dots that the Bible doesn't really connect for you yeah. uh, to think that, well, well, evangelism is pointless or even prayer is pointless. And listen, please, if you are hearing this and that's your disposition that you think your, your uh, Calvinistic or your firm theology has led you to prayerless, you have uh, not got a biblical theology a because theology. a biblical theology of all this stuff will will ignite a prayer, uh, a prayer life, and it will ignite a concern for the loss and a call to the loss. It is precisely this theology that led Paul, in particular, to his many um, missionary endeavors and his church plans, because yeah. he knew God had a people for Yeah, I have himself. many— Right? I have Acts many 18. in the city. Thank you. Acts I have 18. many in the city. And he knew that. And and they weren't, he didn't know who they were. Right. And so he went in faith, knowing that God would do the saving and calling all. My one of my seminary professors, the preaching prof I had was, I mean, he was 
I don't know how many points there are, you know, like five points or seven <laughs> points. Some people call them seven pointers. He was on that train. He was so down, uh, you know, in the reform theology. He was all about it. But he would say, and I loved this. He was so helpful in seminary. He would say, if, um, if you were reading a passage, think, for example, John 3.16, that type of passage, right? If you cannot preach that passage with all your might, but if you feel like you've got to jump out of one of those passages and you've got to go to Romans 8 or you've got to go to Romans 9 or you've got to, like, you've got to almost um, apologize for the, the, the way the gospel is sounding so free, if you jump out of where you are, he says, shame on you. You've, you've got to give the gospel in the freeness that the Bible does, mm-hmm. precisely because you're so sure that God's going to do the work, yeah. and He draws, and He saves, and He makes people alive in Christ yeah. by His mercy, yeah. Ephesians 2. Man, that's good. Um, don't jump out of a passage because you're concerned to over-nuance everything, and I was an over-nuancer, and he, I mean, boy, those are some tough preaching classes when you realized you were pegged uh, as doing that, but it was so helpful. So good. And, and maybe it's helpful as I'm hearing you talk, I'm realizing our listeners may not even know kind of the fundamental tenets of Calvinism. Cal, first of all, it's very misunderstood, right? What is Calvinism? Is it the same as reformed theology? You know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, most people think of Calvinism as the five points you're talking about. And maybe it's just helpful in yeah, light of what your that. professor was saying, just to give the five points of Calvinism, right? Uh, so total depravity, so it's tulip, right? So if you can remember that flower, tulip, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement. Now, Chris, that's the one that I would imagine most people struggle with. Yep. Um, irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints. Now that in and of itself is really not all of Calvinism. But it, when we think of Calvinism, that's typically what someone thinks of. Interestingly, in church history, that was a response to the five points of Arminianism of really Jacob Arminius's followers. And then Calvin's followers right. responded at the Synod of Dort and gave a response to the five points of Arminianism. So and we're talking what years? We're talking How far 16, back are we? 16, 18, 16, okay. 19 okay. In, in that time. And so you, you have a response. So it's not to say that Calvinism is those five points. But inevitably, if you're going to get started even like looking into the stuff, you're going to see that the five points are dominant in, in the thinking. And we could get into the history, which I think is fascinating. But Yeah, yeah. That's good, boy. There's so much ground to cover here. Um, I would say a couple of important caricatures that people are concerned about. When I have a conversation with someone who asks me that question, is Docs a Calvinist? And they're hoping the answer is no. Oftentimes it's because they've been in a place where the worship was stale, where the preaching was dry, where, uh, what's the next word I could use? Eva- evangelism was, uh, you know, just absent. To- devoid, absent of evangelism, and a, not, a, not a passion for God's glory, all these things. And so they've been in a place where there was either, a, you know, maybe um, they overemphasize some things. I do believe you can overemphasize these sure. things. And when you get too passionate about Calvinism, for yeah. example, you can 
um, you can so find it everywhere in the scriptures that you do not revel in the beauty and the glory of what the passage actually teaches, but you are jamming, again, you start with a system and then find it in the Bible. That's not the way you want to go. You start with the scriptures and and Calvinism, uh, if if we want to even call it that, in the end of the day, it's going to reflect the scriptures Mm. because I think that's what we're going to see over and over on the pages of scripture. So one of the things that people have asked me, like you said, I've done every membership class, almost every membership class, certainly for the first five years, and then you've jumped in and helped with a bunch of those. I'm sure you've gotten the same questions, but the question people want to know is, are you Calvinistic? Are you Calvinists? You know, and my response to that, and there's reason for this. It's not a skirting away or being shy. It's, it's, I say this, we are biblicists. Because let's let's get back to the Re- Reformation for a second. Like we are fired up about the Reformation. Our theological heritage comes from the Reformation, and we should praise God for that as Christians. But the Reformation, as much as it's like, well, the major emphasis was justification by faith, reestablishing justification by faith. I should be very clear: by faith alone. The yep. key word is alone. But if you really go underneath that, the bigger issue going on in the Reformation was a rediscovery of the authority of the Scriptures. So here's what I mean by that. As a pastor, I am not, especially when someone's a little bit put off by that, what I would rather have them hear is come along with us. You don't have to think exactly like we do, but here's what we're committed to. The faithful, regular exposition of the word of God. If you can sit under the word of God and we're content to let the word of God mean what it means and say what it says, that's where we're going as a church. That's what we're excited about. So it's not a cop-out. It's simply to say there's actually there's actually more of a focus for me as a pastor to say, we want to teach the Bible. We're going to try to do that faithfully. We're going to try to get to authorial intent, and we're going to break down the passage, and we're going to understand what's going on, and what did the Spirit mean to inspire through the author, and then we're going to let the chips fall where they may. And I think when you do that, that's when you get this Reformed perspective, but it starts with the authority of the Scriptures, and that's what our church is founded upon, the establishment of the authority of Scriptures over all forms of authority. Yeah, yeah, good. Um as I think about someone, uh, different people I've interacted with who have just gotten on fire for the Lord and His Word, but maybe in uh, Calvinism, kind of discovering it or whatever, and I can relate to this um, many years ago now, I think of three particular stages, maybe not stages, but um, personalities that okay. sometimes when they're new to Calvinism, we have to be careful of. Okay. One is a c- classic one called cage stage. Oh, yeah. The cage oh, stage yeah. Calvinist yep. is ready, I mean, he is a aggr- or she is aggressive, yep. they're aggressive in, you know, a Bible. Bible study or small group, if they get a whiff that someone has, um, you know, gone off uh, toward uh, whatever, or less uh, than questionable reformed theology, if it's anywhere yes, questionable yes, at all, yes, if they they're question ready to it, jump. They just jump all over people. It's like, whoa, 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 calm down. Like, yeah. didn't wasn't it a patient person? Hopefully, that brought you along. Right. Let's be those patient people. So the cage stage, it yeah. happens, but you gotta watch out for it. Right. You become that unfriendly guy in Bible study that just always has to demand maybe an argument or something because of a little thing someone. It's said. always a little judgy, isn't it? Like it just comes, and I think it's the combination of oh my goodness, I found this amazing reality that's strewn throughout the pages of scripture. But it also comes, if we're not careful, the cage stage comes with that pride of this is right, other people are not right, and I have this responsibility to 
fix everybody. And that's when we go, okay, we need to keep you in the cage a little bit longer right. for some more maturity, more humility. Um, probably a little bit more suffering could help as well. And just, um, you know, growing in a, in a deeper understanding of how to how to share that with you. Yeah, people. sure. <laughs> and, and then, you know, the cage stage person who goes on uh, becomes the fighting Calvinist. They're the person who just starts to enjoy the fight, oh, yeah. especially social media. the online yeah. stuff, the yeah. social media, the YouTube commenter, yeah. the keyboard warrior, right? They're just ready for the fight, and it's just... Um, it's not good for the cause. <laughs> it's not helpful. We seem so grumpy, uh, yeah. right? I, I, I mean, the, the yeah. Whole, don't be angry about it. Why are you it? so angry about <laughs> it? It's so great. It's so right. glorious. And and we listen. If we believe in the sovereignty of God, like we should, as revealed in pages of Scripture, right? Calvinism. I don't even like saying Calvinism because we don't follow a man. We follow the God Man, Jesus Christ. So if Calvinism had anything going on that was good, it was Jesusism, right? It's right. biblicism. That's why we say that. And so. You know, the, the person that wants to make everything a fight sees that, yes, okay, well, let's give them this, Chris. There is a contending in the New Testament. Yep. There's an overwhelming sense about false teachers and our responsibility to uphold the truth and all of that. But it also says that a Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but patient, bearing with one another, right? Uh, hoping that the Lord will lead these people to... Well, yep. ultimately, in that case, with false teachers' repentance. And just the multiple times Paul says to Timothy, you know, in his admonitions to him to, 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 to be preaching and teaching, and he says, or to be correcting, and he says, with all patience. Yes. And that's just like makes you wince when you see it personally, because I'm like, oh, the patience part. I do want to just kind of give it to them and walk away. I want to just, you know, let them have it and walk away and hope they get it, but it's with all patience. I think of a third kind kind of Calvinist is the referee Calvinist to watch out for. Like, don't be the whistleblower. Every time you hear someone express something um, less than perfectly. Heresy. Heresy, yes. It's heresy, they, Chris. They just... Um, the, and if the, you don't see that... They're the vocabulary police, they're the referees, and they've got to watch out, watch out, and be gracious with people. I, I mean, gosh, I, I am grateful God, first and foremost, is gracious and patient with us, uh, and then the people in my life that have been gracious and patient to take me back to the Word. Yeah. You're not trying to convert a person to Calvinism. You want to help <laughs> them see no. the glory of God in the pages yeah. of Scripture yes. and in the face of Jesus Christ. Right. And then you uh, find at that point that, oh, John Calvin also believed that and he wrote extensively about that but we don't follow John Calvin but I it, it's so funny the referee Calvinist because I, I know exactly what you're saying and it, it just makes me it hits me right heresy um let's just be honest for a second pastor to pastor is, is there some heresy that's thrown out from time to time people just saying things yes yes yeah if you go for certain things that are said yes it's heretical there's a difference though between heretical and a heretic Someone may say something that is heretical. We're not immediately jumping to, this person's a heretic. That's what referee Calvinists do, right? Now, it's okay to, you know, slowly, carefully, in the right way, lovingly deal with, lovingly deal with someone, right? right. That's div causing division in a, in a Bible study. And we've seen some of oh, that yeah. before. Yeah. But there's, I know what you're saying about the referee guy. That's just everything that doesn't smack of like John Owen is, is, is bunk. 
Yeah. So um, a book recommendation uh, that I read last year, I think, it, I think it came out last year, is called uh, Humble Calvinism by J.A. Metters, M-E-D-D-E-R-S. I would encourage someone uh, who just wants to learn more, you will learn about the content of kind of um, Calvinist uh, theology, but you'll learn about it from a guy who really, very, um, uh, he's got good wit, he's, he's funny, he's seen a lot, and he comes um, out of a for a kind of God-glorifying theology that you can call Calvinism, but that will flatten you. It will humble you. It will bring you to joy. And so I would just, um, and you have the last word, Scott. I know we want to get back to making sure we're preaching the, the word and not, not, not Calvinism. Yeah. I want you to finish there, but just a word to those of you who would say, man, this has hit me. I've, I've been or I am uh, one of these people that can kind of be the referee, that I can be the cage stage person. Read a book like this, Humble Calvinism to really help you understand that the point of this theology rooted in the Word comes from, or, or it's supposed to lead to a mature character that loves God, loves His Word, and listen, loves His people. Yes. And if it doesn't produce that in you, right. then it's not doing the work it needs to do. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And I think, uh, love the title because of the word humble in front of it. It is so sad to think humble has really been separated. You don't think Calvinism and think humble. Sadly, you don't think of Calvinism and think missional or evangelistic. Yeah. And, and maybe even you don't think of Calvinism and prayer. And, and again, like I said, the, the word is, is what it is. Really, it's again, it's a coming back to the authority of scripture, sitting under the faithful exposition of the word, right? Just the words of, of God uh, in, in the scriptures. That's where we're going to get the foundation for our theology. Um, that being said, if we were talking in about 400 years ago in, in America, the predominant position of at least most um, churches was Calvinistic. So we're living in a very different time where it's shifted to being a much more kind of man-centered, pragmatic um, semi-Pelagian, which is more church history, goes back to Augustine's days. Anyway, uh, no time for that right now. You're <laughs> right. like, wrap it up, <laughs> yeah, wrap it up. Exactly. But, um, but you'll see that some of the most faithful uh, you know, uh, men of church history were faithful, reformed preachers of the word of God, were people that were committed to the word. And that work, whether it's, you know, Whitfield or Calvin or Luther or Augustine before reformed was reformed mm -hmm, in that sense, right. it was reforming. The church should always be reforming. But in that sense of they, what did they have in common? They got to the word of God and let the word of God speak clearly. Cal any, any mode of Calvinism that uh, omits uh, human responsibility is, is faulty Calvinism. Uh, there's a term, hyper-Calvinism. Yeah. That's what a lot of people think of when they think Calvinism. Instead, we're talking about a God-glorifying, sovereign God who is um, working in people's lives, causing people to be born again and to be sanctified through the Word of God, right. which is where we get our theology. So again, I'm pointing people back to the Word. That's where we should end. And then a supplemental book like Humble Calvinism would be a great addition, but let the word of God say what it says. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Well, man, there's a lot more we could cover. We should come back to this sometime. Uh, we could do many parts on this, but I hope this helps you. Uh, if you've been confused or concerned, uh, we want to, we want to encourage you to, especially if you're at Doxa 
continue uh, sitting under God's word and ask him to uh, let it just let it speak. Let it speak to your heart as the Holy Spirit uh, leads you. And as you sit under the word here, we're grateful uh, to exalt the name of Jesus and to hold up his word. And we're thankful you gave us some time to listen. And uh, until next time, thanks. You've been listening to Doxologic, a podcast by Doxa Church in Rockland, California. To learn more, visit doxachurch.net.